podcast your source for stateside views on everton football club hosted by alex johnson and james boyman hello there everybody welcome back to the american toffee podcast james here joined as always by alex and ryan we are coming to you the day after everton's 4-2 victory against brighton and hove albion at Goodison Park. Everton have now won their first seven games of the season for only the second time in the club's history. It's been over a century. Last time was 1894-1895. Kind of hard to even grasp the magnificence that we've been treated with to kick off the 2020-2021 campaign, but let's try. Alex, you go first. Your instant match reaction to Brighton. It's super exciting to start off the Premier League and, and the season as a whole unbeaten. I can't lie and say that the Evertonian anxiety TM in me is not like screaming, saying like, oh, it's a matter of time, Alex. It's a matter of time before something goes wrong. But it hasn't yet. We've been off to a flying start. Although maybe our performances as a whole haven't been amazing every single match. We're being consistent in in how we're playing, how we're setting up, and we're winning. And that's all that matters. What about you, Ryan? Yeah, my reaction was kind of like we did exactly what was necessary. You know what I mean? When we went up. We parked it a little bit and injuries kind of dictated that. And what did we do? We killed him on the counter. And, and there was just some quality again today. I mean, how can you not be pumped up? I mean, I'm just completely pumped. Um, who would have thought going into this break, we'd step back and say, all right, we knew, we knew we'd have seven games at best going into this break and won all of them. I mean, now it's just a matter of, okay, guys come back from great break, you know, pick up the intensity right where we left off and and keep it going. But man, it was a joy to watch us clinically rip them to shreds a couple times on the counter when we were sitting deep. I mean, that's the dream way to finish a game and we did it well. Yeah, I think what, what Dominic Calvert-Lewin said in his post-match interview was essentially, well, he didn't think that that we played all that well in the second half. And, and I'm inclined to agree. In moments, we played really well, but as a whole, you know, we started to, to give up a little bit of the ball. But the important thing is, we didn't play that well and yet still won very convincingly. And that's something that you can't say about Everton in seasons past, where if we weren't really on the ball, really playing well, then we probably lose. And there's been multiple times in the first seven games of the campaign where we've played average, good in moments, maybe up and down throughout the course of the 90 and still pretty much won comfortably. You know, with half an hour left today, we were chilling more or less. We we were Far ahead, Brighton really had no no chance of ever really getting back in the game, and it's nice to just kind of not be <laughs> have a, have the game hanging on a knife's edge as you head into that last ten fifteen minutes and just kind of enjoy the magnificent combination play that we can that we're capable of now. So let's move on to the lineup. So we know that having picked up injuries in midweek, it was it was a little unsure of you know would. Carlo roll with Hamas again, having played the full 90 when he probably didn't want him to. We end up seeing a little bit of a change in midfield where Tom Davies comes in alongside Gilfie Sigurdsson and Decore. What did you guys make of Carlo's decision to kind of switch things up in midfield? Ryan, you can go first. Well, I assume that Delph would come in unless he wasn't quite fit. 
um, for Andre or really to play the Allen position and, and not surprised Siggy would come in for Andre. But as it turns out, he wasn't, I'm assuming, not fully fit. And Tom Davies came in. And I, I think we all thought that if that was the case, Tom would play kind of the Andre role. Uh, Andre, as we know, is similar to Tom when it comes to defense. He's takes some risks. He over pursues. He gets dribbled by way too easily. Uh, so I assumed that he would press up higher uh, when we were not in possession and sit deeper when we did have it. Um, and that's not exactly what happened. And I think that was a surprise. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think, Alex, you probably thought a little bit of the same, but you got to give Tom credit. I mean, he really stepped up and played a mature match. Yeah, it was a mature match. That was one of the first things I noticed when ball was kicked off was the fact that Tom Davies was sitting deepest of the three central midfielders. I was talking about it. <laughs> right. Yeah, literally. And we've harped on it a lot, right? Like what is his preferred position and that sort of yep. thing. So I, I'm going to be honest. It's actually very surprising to me to see Carlo playing him furthest back in a midfield trio of those two. My my only guess would be that maybe he feels, and he's probably correct, that Ducore and Sigurdsson could have offered more moving forward. Um you could probably argue their passing is better too. But overall, I mean, it was. It was a mature performance. Um, he had a, a lot of good defensive actions in general. And as we and then ended up, Sigurdsson filled in for Gomez in his kind of role on the left-hand side of the central midfield, dictating play that way. So yeah, you can tell we were clustering in the middle. And yes, we had the ball out left a bit, but it seemed to be swinging back to the right a lot. I mean, we were feeding James. Uh, you know, repeatedly and and not surprisingly, he sat deeper with the left sided forward pushed up, pushed up higher. And I mean, look, anytime he leads your team in touches, it cannot be a bad thing. Um, and that seemed like it was a setup. You know, I, I don't think we favored either side of the fullback pushing up higher. You know, yeah, Decore tended to shade a little bit to the right and feeding Hamez the ball a bit. And uh, Tom Davies went and kind of helped out as needed as the deepest player. And Siggy played a little bit of the Andre role, maybe a little higher. He was more operating on the left side and pushed up into left half, left half space at times. And that was pretty much the central midfield. Everything else looked pretty much the same, I think. Yeah. And Richarlison, of course, was able to to pass a late fitness test. So he ends up getting the start. But let's uh, let's start talking about the actual timeline of the match. So. The match kicks off, and and right away we have two quick shots. Dominic Calvert Lewin off of a off of an interception almost puts one in the bottom corner, and then Seamus Coleman on a run forward pings one in, and that kind of set the tone early. And again, we continue this great run of scoring early goals and getting out on the front foot. When in the 16th minute, James Rodriguez plays a short corner to Gilfie Sigurdsson, who turns, pings it far post. Calvert Lewin rises up above Ben White. And bangs home his eighth goal of the season. He's in complete beast mode right now, man. That was, I mean, how many players even get to that ball? You know what I mean? I mean, he was so high in the air and so going forward, completely overpowered his defender and just absolutely smoked it, man. That was, God, you know, I mean, that was just absolutely impressive. And and this is a good Brighton team. So to start off like that was, I mean, it's a massive lift. I know I was excited for sure. And, you know, all credit goes to Gilfie, too, because um, they're they're professionals, so weak foot can only mean so much. But the ball from Gilfie on his left foot, essentially at the byline or at the end line was, or the goal line, excuse me, was was literally inch perfect. It was on a plate to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, perfect header in the corner. Um, can't ask for a better start, to be honest, in the 19th minute. 16th minute, excuse me. Yeah, and in the last four games, 
Fleetwood Town, we scored in the 22nd to open things up. Palace, we scored in the 10th minute. West Ham, we scored in the 11th. So we're, we're really doing a good job of getting on the and getting on the score sheet early and taking a lot of pressure off of ourselves um, where we're not going down and having to fight back, which I think obviously teams that score the first goal tend to have a higher win percentage. Um, but then just a few short minutes later, Richarlison ends up retweaking his ankle that looked like. Uh, so in the 25th minute, he gets yanked in favor of Alex Awobi, who of course played midweek as well. Um, and I, I felt like that kind of maybe took some of the sting out of our, out of our attack temporarily where you don't have quite the same, ag- maybe aggression going forward. Alex will be dangerous when he receives the ball in the final third and he's looking to carry it forward, but I don't know if he has the same, I don't know if he instills the exact same fear into defenses that Richarlison does when he's getting those long switches from James. He doesn't. And also I think we talked before the match. Um, about the concern of them, ta- you know, attacking down the down their right side, our left side with Lamptey, who's very effective going forward, playing in that right wing back role. And so Richie, obviously being over there helping Luca con- to contain him, was very effective. He still really didn't do too much. Alex did okay there, but it definitely took him a while to settle into the match. But the, the foul and the constant beating we received in the first twenty minutes was was pretty irritating. I mean, it was tactical fouling initially, although it continued after a yellow card was given in the fourth. Um, but look, you know, if you're going to have the ball like we did early, I guess you're going to have to get used to some of that stuff, but it wasn't appreciated. I mean, I think James was fouled five times as well. Um, I'm glad, you know, we had a couple more injuries too. That was very frustrating, but at least we made him pay early enough. And then came the 41st minute. Um, I Oof. think the last time we had a pod where we talked about a moment like this, I deferred to someone else. So uh, I would prefer to not yet again bring it up because people think I'm just <laughs> picking on Pickford. Um, but look, we have talked about this in the past. Last year, he was not good, objectively speaking. No, I, the way I would measure, objectively, stats-wise, the performance of a keeper in terms of shot stopping, I mean, save percentage is kind of rudimentary, but I look at expected goals versus the goals he actually conceded. And I'm sorry, he was second worst in the whole league. So coming off of that, I know we're encouraged by the Tottenham game, but this has now become several games in a row, and we could talk about it later, but this was a bad blunder. Uh, it's one I think, I know it's raining, but he's got to make that play. It was terrible. It was it was really bad, and it was really deflating, to be honest, to watch it, because it just feels like the game was set, and, and we were playing kind of our style, and they were essentially letting us do that, for, for lack of a better term. But then, if you were watching uh, the NBCSN coverage, Rebecca Lowe, the commentator at halftime, or, well, asks Tim Howard if he thought that Pickford is good enough for Everton. And Tim Howard's answer was, I did. But once the mistakes start creeping in, there's only so much you can do. James, what do you feel about that comment? I mean, that sounds pretty damning to me coming from Tim Howard. Yeah, from a guy who who knows the club inside and out and, of course, played between the sticks for Everton for a decade, uh, it, it says a lot. And I, I you almost have to agree with him at this point. And We've been critical of Pickford, but we've also defended him in some regards where we say, you know, give him time. And I will say, of course, we're fortunate that this blunder and his other blunders this season have not yet cost us because we've been so good on the offensive end. But that play, I mean, it's it's a weekly hit ball. It's high. He has to go up. It's wet. I get all of that. But he's not really under that much pressure. And yet, he, he, for some reason, he's just unable to grab it. It drops and Mopai, to his credit, is is waiting, almost anticipating a mistake from Pickford, 
which I guess you have to do if you're if you're in that position. But it seems like now oppositions have have keyed in and and they know that we're a threat going forward, but they also know that we have a keeper who will blunder if you even put him under the slightest bit of pressure or now even under very little pressure at all. And that gives teams the confidence that that even when they go down, that they can get back into games. And I just think that where we've improved, and I actually, I can't remember who, who said this on Twitter, but we talked about in the summer, you know, we had bigger priorities, areas of the squad to fix than keeper. And now we fix those areas. And so it only makes our weakness at the keeper position with Jordan Pickford stand out all the more. I mean, we talked about this in the year end review, though. I mean, we we all I mean, objectively speaking, though, it would have been the one area where we could have improved the most. I mean, you argue the metrics all you want. But I mean, if the guy cost us a little over four goals last year, you know, by objective measurements, that is massive. And that's a huge difference between, look, we need to we need to concede fewer. Uh, the problem with him is that right when brands came in, he signed an extension. So he's making you know, over a hundred K a week. And I'm sorry. The only guy that was worse is no longer starting at Chelsea. So we have a problem on our hands. Now he did play better two years ago. It's not like he's completely incapable of having a decent season. He's a, his reflexes are good. His hands are strong. His distribution has been iffy again. He had one great ball later in the match, but I, I we're stuck with him anyway. I, it'd be very interesting to see what we do here on the deadline because I don't know if Lossell's really any threat to him. Now, again, though, to your point, responding and how it hasn't mattered yet, which is just shocking. Sure enough, about five, six minutes later, the big fella off a corner comes through to put us back 2-1 with, I mean, this just in, you might want to mark that guy <laughs> because he got his bid head behind it. Man, bang, it was right in the corner. It was a complete... I mean, and, and I have to admit the dance was a little much, but, but I did enjoy it. I mean, the guys are, they're having fun, you know what I mean? And he just, he had an amazing game anyway, but man, that was a, just a vicious finish. You can't let that guy loose in the, in the box. You just can't. No, it was a perfect ball in, but it was also a fantastic finish. I mean, I, I, I literally started screaming. Yes. When the ball was probably about a yard from his head. Because you could tell there was nothing that was going to happen other than a goal by Yuri Mina. And by the way, um, this is this is from Opta Joe. Yeri's goal was the first goal in Premier League history to be scored and assisted by a Colombian. So we've got that going for us as well. Which is come like, one, come all the Colombians to Everton. We're going to be Viva. they're they're going to be coming in in droves. It's going to be outrageous. I hope so. And actually, what was interesting before the goal? So the announcers said Dominic Calvert Lewin and Michael Keane, the main targets on this. And then Yeri Mina does actually he he makes a really nice move to shake his his marker to get near post. And he's wide open. And we talked about it, I think, on the on the West Ham match review, where we do have so many threatening players in the box that it's almost impossible to mark everyone effectively. And that was the case with that. Yeri, first goal of the season, uh, he does really well. And and again, we're back up ahead just before half, which I think was really massive. Because if we had gone in level, you know, Brighton started to come into the game a little bit more, uh, commanding possession, creating more chances. And I think that really uh, took a lot of the wind out of their sails. They looked good in the last 10 minutes or so of the second half, I thought, too. I mean, the goal was, you know, it was kind of a joke, but um, they, they were settling into the game a little bit. I was a little surprised, though, at halftime that they pulled Lamptey. I, I agree, we totally bottled him, um, but things definitely changed. I mean, we had 54% possession at that point. Um, Veltman, who came in for him, sat really high and wide right, and we we didn't exactly pack it in right away, 
But the reason being is because of the contributions we got in the 52nd minute with uh, James scoring his goal because, you know, it's funny. Everyone was trashing Wobie at that point because he was making so many poor touches and stuff. And, and I'd like to mention, I did not say anything or gloat on Twitter. But, <laughs> but I mean, say whatever you want. Uh, and you got to give credit to James with that. What the heck was that touch off the interception, right? That was unbelievable. But I, I don't know how Wobie even saw James, but man, that was, I mean, that was really pretty work. It's just nice to have the quality to make the difference sometimes that we've seen so far this year. It's just, it was just a total joy. It was, it was fantastic. It was like some crazy backheel touch, right? And, and it goes to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but but the nice thing to see, the, the other thing I wanted to point out about this goal was Dominic Calvert-Lewin waits for almost the perfect opportunity to slide Alex Iwobi in for him to get the, cr- the the cross over, right? Alex Iwobi only took one touch, one stride after receiving the ball to get past his man and slide it over. And so that's the that's the sort of attacking int- intent that we need from Dominic Calvert-Lewin if he's not in and amongst the goals himself, right? And, and that that I think is is a show of kind of what you mentioned, um, Ryan, about Tom Davies' performance, maybe a little bit of maturation, maturity. And the thing is, we've I've said many times, you guys know the numbers, Alex is a little sloppy at times, but when he gets in that final third, he can create. He creates opportunities, you know? Sometimes they don't come off, but that one did. And, and honestly, no one's going to, I mean, technique-wise, I mean, who would you rather have with a ball served up like that than Hamas? I mean, you know, there was no question that thing was going in. And, and the game changed very much after that, but I mean, we were clearly comfortable sitting 3-1, and then you saw a little bit more of the traditional Italian kind of, defensive minded self and and Carlo talked a lot about that going into the match you know whoever he thought would be the most sound on defense would make a difference and I think it did not help us in a way when Seamus went down and Fabian Delft came in I mean that was almost the signal to say all right guys we, we've done what we need to we're going to sit back and see if these guys actually actually can produce some magic and, and break us down and beat us um and felt did a good jo- Fabian did a good job and and Tom Davies deserves a lot of credit man he went to right right back I've mentioned on this pod before that I actually think he's a very good natural right back, even though it's not his right position. Uh, and he filled in, filled in really well. Uh, even after they blo- brought in Adam Lalana in for Aaron Connolly and were really putting the pressure on us. Um, and I think they had something like 70, 70% possession after that goal. Um, we still bunkered in pretty well. I mean, they didn't have that many chances. And then sure enough, a little bit more magic happened in the 70th minute. This thing was a thing of beauty, I thought. Oh, it's it's a ridiculous play. I mean, the Wobi perfect slide pass to Decore, yet another chip to the far post. I mean, just like the first goal, you could see Hamas just licking his chops, knowing that <laughs> the t- yep. now that they have that understanding with each other, they know where each other are going to be, and he finds him perfect, perfect move. And it's so nice, that goal, and also the, the first Hamas goal, the ability for us to just so quickly transition from defense to offense, where we're just at their throats, without any any kind of reckless abandon almost and to see that level of of aggression and desire to to put the ball in the back of the net uh and confidence in the the players in the side where they're they they just have that understanding they feel like they can score whenever they really want to and even though again we weren't controlling a lot of the possession we still ha- brighton were never really comfortable at any point that's fair i mean listen, listen this goal for me is all about awobi that's it Obviously, Decore sliding it over for James. Wait, is wait, great. hold on, hold on, hold on. Say that again. I will go on record. <laughs> this goal, Everton's fourth goal, is all about Awobi. I've watched it back a bunch. 
And you watch him cut in as Ducore is making the run, and he takes out three defenders with his pass into Ducore. Um, why, you know, why were there three defenders there? I don't, I don't following Alex. <laughs> Orion, that that you know that's another question because Lucas Dean was Lucas Dean was overlapping at that point, right? So like, why? That was a great run, though. That was a really important run because he brought a guy to kind of look with him and open up the space. It was great. No, exactly, and that's that's what I'm saying, right? And to be fair, the the term usually goes right. You win a match based on what you do without the ball, not necessarily what you do with the ball. Um, that could sound counterintuitive to some, but no, Iwobi was absolutely fantastic on this play. I really liked the fact that Ducore, um, he was the one that kind of drove the ball forward, I think, in this play specifically, and then he ends up getting the assist for it, which was very positive to see him um, in his offensive contribution. And then naturally, James with a brace is always a nice thing to see. It's genius. I mean, I thought he was slow, yet there he is, poof, right where he needs to be. Ducore's idea, just even chip that thing, is is pretty brilliant, honestly. I mean, I would not have blamed him if he tried to strike it or do something with it. The fact that he literally had the audacity to just kind of chip it over there. I mean, God, that was a thing of beauty. That was like my personal greatest goal ever for Everton for the people I defend. You know, like yes. I defend Alex. I love DeCorey. DeCorey has always been my favorite non-Everton player. And when we signed him, I mean, oh. God is just absolutely so happy. Got him on the jersey and everything. So to see that combination had me just laughing. And again, I, I, did, I did not gloat on Twitter. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I also thought it was kind of interesting too. Theo comes in after that, and he's probably the right guy to kind of you know run the game down and stuff. I, I wonder if that could be his last appearance. Who knows? Uh, and really, um, other than the absolutely ridiculous shot. That Basuma hit. I mean, oh my God, that was just, that was not, now that was not Pickford's fault. Uh, That was just absolutely smoked. You're right. It it was so nice to have like a good 20, 25 minutes where, yeah, if they'd have scored, I'd have been like, yeah, no big deal. You know, it was very pleasant. It was quite lovely, even though we were sitting back. Yeah, that Basuma goal just, uh, and the announcer said as much on on the broadcast, like that deserved, that deserved a better context because it was, ultimately meaningless but He's what a, a strike to take it down on his chest the the pace with which he hits it slots it perfectly in the bottom corner yeah pickford uh cost us one goal can't say he did could have done a thing about that that's just a worldly they're a good team too i, I hope people yeah. realize it i mean they had given up six shots on target in their first three games um you could see they were dangerous when we were sitting back i mean we we could do that against a lot of teams that wouldn't be comfortable they were they're going to be a good side i bet you they finish at least mid table this year for sure but yeah i mean it's a great win it absolutely was i think our expected goals too we still led um even though they basically had the ball the whole time i think what info goal had us at 1.9 right expected and and 1.35 again that's that's the folly of using expected goals uh in a in a short period of time you know what i mean and just yeah, a one right. game sample because let's be honest i mean james with two chances right there i mean what are his real expected goals there i mean come on you know because it's not measuring the player it's not measuring i mean he's gonna bear right. every time and thank god he does you know but yeah i mean it was uh it, it was a deserved a deserved win and uh man there were some really st- standouts too that list is pretty long yeah i mean if you ask me i think Gary mina has to be one of the names at the top of the list right my man had a tackle, four interceptions, four clearances, three blocks, and a goal. And then our buddy on Discord, Ethan Zander, otherwise known it's as so Penny bad. Blue, also, also so his name on Twitter, <laughs> he commented on Discord and he said, Mina had more saves today than Pickford and as many goals as Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Man was a beast. 
There's a stat for you. Uh, always Ethan coming up with something obscure. Nice work. Yeah. I mean, my favorite, De- Decore, too. Uh, I mean, he was all over the place. Three key passes. Uh, kept the ball. Good passing You know, percentage. A couple interceptions. A block. You know, I posed the question to you guys before, you know, many ways. I mean, it's hard to take away from Hamas's brilliance, but this guy may have been absolutely as important a signing as the other two guys. You know, and you saw his transition from defense to offense on the counter. It's almost unfair. You know, I thought he played a great match, uh, both on the defensive and the offensive side. Yeah, agreed with both of your shouts. I thought Mina was immense. I mean, again, the goal was fantastic. And then his presence on the on the defensive side of the ball getting in the way disrupting everything and he is he is just a an, an intimidating presence alongside michael Keane. decore again his engine is something else man i mean the guy runs and runs and runs and he's good with the ball at his feet he's not he's, he's multi-dimensional he's so balanced as a player and he just brings a completely different element of of class to our midfield and it, it, it's true the other two guys obviously james and alan bring I think very specific skill sets and Decore is just that that guy who, you know, as you as we said at the top of the show, when when we saw the lineup, we kind of expected Decore maybe to be the guy sitting deeper. But no, he's able to and he could have done that job. He can play in really any of those midfield positions. He's just everywhere. Yeah, I I, I mean, it's amazing. So I, we had Tony F. VFC uh, on Twitter, uh, who I go back and forth with a lot ironically chico is on this one too you know? and when look when keith asul says something you know it matters uh his comment was out of the three signings he was the one that he was waiting for it's been class since he came to england gutted when he kept getting knocked back he actually gave credit to watford for helping him become a class act and you know it was unfortunate for watford to go down i still find it absurd that they did so many mistakes uh picking managers and stuff but the talent was there and you could see it i, I mean his industry with a little bit more class around him. And he's not perfect. You know, he, he, he every now and then makes a mistake trying to move too fast. You know, he's not completely clean. Um, but man, what a difference maker for us. Scott Jorick, Burgermeister 73. Yeah, Scott and I go back and forth a lot too. Um, DeCorey was his man of the match. He's definitely in the running for sure. I did want to give a shout out to, to Tom Davies though, because we talked about him a little bit sitting in that deeper role. Again, a player who has been criticized and criticized and people have written him off probably two dozen times by now saying he'll never be good enough for this team. When in that role, playing deeper, he was exceptional today. He he put himself about, he had an 80% pass accuracy, four tackles, five interceptions, a block. Uh, in the, the defined role that he was set, I thought he was, he did the job that he was asked to do. And the slide tackles, he had like three or four really nice slide tackles to win the ball back. Um, not something we were accustomed to seeing from him because again, his lateral quickness isn't great. He gets dribbled by a lot, but today uh, he, he kept his guys in front of him and he his positioning. I think he looked a little more aware and not as much as like a chicken running around with his head cut off as we've seen even in like recent matches that he's played. When we sat back, we picked off a bunch of passes, man. It was really nice to see. I mean, a bunch of guys had a bunch of interceptions, but yeah, Tom Davies, three. I think they revised it to make it three, but three tackles, five interceptions, and a block shot. And the block shot was absolutely critical when he made it. I mean, what a match for him. Uh, I think he definitely went a long way to proving some doubters wrong. And I said flat out, I said, clearly Davies won't play deep in defense. I was responding to Phil Natty who uh, we go back and forth as well. And uh, he's as bad as Andre. Dale Hathaway, who loves calling me out, Dale. 
How's that working <laughs> out? He was awesome. Uh, he was absolutely fantastic. It was such a mature uh, performance. I mean, I don't know if it's Carlos' magical touch, but um, he was really important. I thought Gilfie put in a shift on defense, too. He obviously had had the great assist on the first goal. He had another key pass, two tackles, four interceptions for him, a couple clearances. Certainly, there were a lot of important players in the middle of the field on defense when we were just kind of killing the game off. But, I mean, what can you say about James, though? I mean, James statistically is always going to be man of the match, right? Two goals, an assist, a couple key passes, most touches on the Everton team. So that's always a good thing. We talked about that the other day and how that kind of works into Everton's setup and and Carlo Ancelotti's plan on the pitch. But he had a a fantastic passing rate as well. Dribbled a couple times, fouled a bunch, which we saw within the first like five minutes, right? I think James was fouled probably two times in the first five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. That's kind of frustrating to see, but that's what happens when you have such a good player on your books, right? And you can see the teams are really starting to key in on him and try to try to shut him out. They know. And, and as we go throughout the season, I think that's going to become, he's going to become more and more of a target for opposition because through him, everything runs for Everton. Like all of our best attacking moves come from him. Even if he's not getting assists, he's getting pre-assists. He's setting up guys to, to create chances. Uh, His vision is just of a completely different world almost. Um, And talking about Tom Davies and Sigurdsson, like just having a guy like Hamas in the team, raises the standards that much that those guys look completely different players to what they looked last season. And, you know, the formation's a little different. I think both both of those guys benefit from having a playing alongside a guy like Ducore. But but Hamez is is a revelation and he's completely transformed transformed the team. But but I did want to mention uh, Alex Awobi as well. And Ryan, you can you can talk wax lyrical about Alex Awobi all you want, but he's all got day. three assists and a goal in a, just a few games. And people again, he had four interceptions uh, yesterday, a really strong performance, a couple clearances, uh, did a nice job slotting in on the left, which we know is the position he preferred to play at Arsenal. Uh, now that he's finally getting time in that preferred role, he, he's really showing up. Gentlemen, let me ask you a question. Did Bernard not have the most goals in the team from midfield last season with three goals? I believe that's correct. So James took four games in the Premier League to equal our our, <laughs> our top score from midfield last season in the Premier League. Right? Wasn't a real high standard there. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. Hey, but, but it doesn't matter. No, it, your exactly, point is right. That's how, that's how bad it was. That's my point. It's been four games, and we already have three goals from a midfielder. That's fantastic. It's James Rodriguez. You know, it, it's not necessarily to say that we shouldn't expect that, but that that is a drastic change. Well, I think it's also worth noting too that we had some guys out that were important. Yes. I mean, Allen and Richie goes down, even Seamus, who's been amongst our best players this year so far. And we hung in there, you know, Uh, I mean, we were up maybe, but the game was tied after Richie came out. And again, I'm not saying this is all Alex Awobi, but the point was James is adaptable. He came back deeper. We fed him the ball. 72 touches, man, to have that many touches and still have like a 94% passing rate, not give the ball up, shows you how well he can hold it. I think that's why we will eventually see against teams that bunker in. You'll see Hamas playing more of the 10. Yeah, I mean, it's just nice to see. You know, it's nice to see someone like Alex Wilby coming in and really impacting the game the way he did. I um, mean, credit credit to Dom, too. You know, even yeah. Dom had one goal. I got it. But his movement, his pressure on the defensive end was still there. You know, I and he still keeps scoring. I mean, his numbers are really impressive. Well, that's what I wanted to say was we've, we've prior to talking, you mentioning DCL, we talked about six or seven other players 
who had exceptional matches without even getting to our leading goal scorer who was nice. on an unprecedented goal scoring tear. Only Dixie Dean, this comes from Gavin Buckland, obviously the official Everton statistician. Only Dixie Dean in his record-breaking 1927-1928 season has scored more goals than Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the opening seven games of a campaign. And I misspoke earlier when I said he has eight, he has nine. Uh, Dixie Dean had 10 through seven games. So we're talking about a guy who scored 60 goals in a single season, and Calvert-Lewin is matching that pace through small, small, relatively small sample size, but it just illustrates how immense he's been. It really, most everyone played a pretty good match. I mean, Pickford was obviously the the, the sore spot. I think we beat on him enough. Um, I, I don't know what we're going to do about him, but it was nice to really say that, hey, he, and that's a really important position where you don't want to see mistakes. He made mistakes and we still won. Uh, I am kind of curious to see everyone's man of the match. I know Stockhausen from our Discord server, and I, I really encourage anyone to go on there because I think our dialogue there is different and really unique. It's a good mix of kind of Americans as well as people from all over. Um, James was his guy, uh, and he thought Decore and Mina fought hard for it as well. I think that's got to be the three, uh, as much as I love Alex Awobi. Um, I'm not sure. I, I think I would go with James, but I'm kind of curious what you guys would go with. James statistically is is the answer. However, I'm going to have to side with Ethan on this one and say that Yeri Mina was my man of the match. Four clearances, three blocks, interceptions galore. I mean, this Key guy did it all. Too. Yeah, and, he's, and he scored a goal, right? So, like, yep. I mean, Yeri Mina was fantastic. Ryan, I know you like Yeri Mina a lot. Rate him highly. Some on the Twitter sphere don't. But I'm going to have to give the plaudits to Yeri Mina on this one. Um, obviously, shout out to the other two as well because completely fair grounds. What about you, James? Yeah, I I almost also have to lean towards Yuri Mina because I think if he doesn't make a couple of those blocks, this game maybe gets a little nervous for us in the last 20 minutes. Um, I think he kept things very composed, d- and despite the fact that, you know, Pickford almost took him out and, and injured him. Uh, that was another <laughs> scary moment where I was oh. thinking, okay, what are we going to, are we going to end up with Tom Davies at center back now? Like, what is going to happen here? He was able to carry on and, and arguably one of his best performances for Everton. If we can start to see him continue to be a threat on set pieces as well on the offensive end, we know how good he is defensively. Uh, and if he can shore up that aspect of his game, Man, he's going to have a really hard time being being forced out of this team by anyone. As even as we start to get healthy and like Mason Holgate comes back, you know he's going to want that spot. But if Yerry can keep this form up, it's going to be a, a tough proposition for Mason. Alex, I love your consistency on the man of the match. It's kind of like the guy that plays really well in one phase and has a big contribution in the other. Right when we picked Sheamus, what man of the match the other day? It's because. He was locked down on defense and he had the assist, right? And Allen was the same thing for you, right? Yeah, I like it. That's good. No, I think that's perfectly logical. God, I want to pick the Corey, you know, but I, I think Hamas was still the guy for me, uh, just knowing that we fed him the ball so much. But he, any one of those three, man, they, they were absolutely massive today. And it was nice to see Yeri really come up with a good performance after getting a little bit of a little bit of criticism, you know, in, in some of his backpedaling, conceding a goal a couple matches ago. So that that was a that was a very good thing. I think so. Um, yeah. So two out of three, Yerry Mean, a man of the match. All right. Now, before we move on to some transfer news and some team news uh, coming through the wire, I did just want to give a quick shout out to Jeremiah Baker from our discord who correctly predicted the score of the match and also a belated shout out to yes, Derek who predicted the West Ham match at midweek that we forgot to give a shout out. So apologies for missing that. But again, guys, if you want to, uh, we have a score prediction channel in our discord, 
where if you get it right, we'll give you a shout out on the show. So if you're interested, join our channel. It's growing a lot, a lot of good discourse there. Um, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with some exciting, interesting news coming as we approach the end of the transfer window. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the American Toffee podcast. We've got some transfer news. We're getting close to the deadline, but a couple early moves have just happened. So we did want to talk about them now. Uh, we fully anticipate doing a full-fledged transfer window recap in a couple days, but we should talk about these things now. We've got one out, two ins. Definitely want to lead off with the out because I think the move of Moise Keen to PSG with uh, on a loan with apparently no option to buy, I think is one that's taken us a little bit off guard. Uh, I know there was some news earlier a day or two ago that was clearly fake about him moving back to Juventus. Um, I was a little skeptical of that one. This one's very interesting to me. I'm very interested to hear what our two other co-hosts have to say. Uh, let's start off with Alex, too, to get his impression on Moise Keen out Loan, no option to buy PSG. So, so here's what I'll say. If we just kind of blank out the club that he, we are almost confirmed that he's going to PSG, right? And we just look and we see Moise Keen is going out on loan, no option to buy. I think in most fans' minds, you'll say, eh, maybe not the best scenario. We want to see him succeed at Everton. We want to see him get minutes this season as we've all been excited about. It could make sense in, in a sense that maybe Carlos said, hey, you're not going to get as many minutes as you want. But then you look at the club and you say, okay, PSG, how many minutes is Moise Keane going to get at PSG over Everton? I find it an interesting kind of saga because why would it make sense to go to PSG of all places? I'm, I'm not going to act like I know their squad in and out like I do Everton, for example, but then have no option to buy. To me, and, and this is guesswork, to me, overall, it just feels like this is a move where maybe Moise King gets some minutes and ideally his wages are off the book for Everton, which I want to say I read that PSG is covering. them. James, how do you feel about it? It's a weird one, man, because we were so excited about Moise King kicking on. And the way that Calvert-Lewin has started the season, it's clear that Moise Keane has would have a massive task on his hands to to displace him in the starting lineup. And then you look, you know, we're, we're in the quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup, the FA Cup's yet to start. Is he realistically going to play as we're really going to gun for those competitions as much as we possibly can? So the picture for him started to look kind of bleak. But as you said, Alex, PSG, like they have a deeper squad than we do. And especially on the attacking end, they're flush with options. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, the move, but at the same time, I think this may signal the end of Moise Keane's time with Everton. I know there's no option to buy, but my thought is that if he goes on loan and he does have success, then we're able to kind of renegotiate and reevaluate his his transfer value at the end of next season rather than trying to guess what it might be right now. Um, I, I just find it hard to see a scenario where he goes to PSG, comes back to us, and is all of a sudden playing again. That just that timeline doesn't exactly make sense. I really had high hopes for Moise Keane, but he just hasn't really ever settled and shown us what he's capable of. We've seen brief, brief glimpses of his talent. We know he's highly rated across the continent, but 
he, and if he can't do it with an, and, and I thought that with Carlo Ancelotti coming in, an Italian manager, that would do wonders for him to make him feel more comfortable and at home at Everton, but it doesn't seem to have make much, made much of an impact. You can see his body language. I know people, I don't want to read too much into it, but you know, he just, he just never came across as a player that, that loved being here. This, the way that we've had some discourse about it um, on our discord where it's like, you know, guys scowl on the pitch like Richarlison, but they also are posting on social media and, and talking about how much they love the club. I've never gotten that impression from Moise Keane in any way. So in some ways, this doesn't surprise me, but I am still really disappointed because I know what a what a prospect he is. I'm pretty bummed. I mean, I, I really thought he'd be more productive than he was uh, so far. I thought he'd make more of an impact. I mean, I, I don't blame that entirely on him. He has to bear some of it, of course. I mean, Carlo wanted him at, at Napoli and, and knew his quality. So I don't think that was it. He, he clearly is unhappy. You know, he's not happy where he is. He's young to make that move. I actually think, believe it or not, I think he'll get more more opportunities to play at PSG. Um, that's not to say that we're a better team than them. I don't mean that at all. But if you look at their roster and what they have, I mean, Thomas Tuchel likes to play 4-3-3. I mean, he plays some different stuff and does some different tactics. But, I mean, really, you've got Neymar on one side and Mbappe on the other. That That's a decent... Decent too, by the way, um, in those positions, Neymar and Mbappe. Um, They're okay. Anyway, and up top, you've got a Cardi now, but really they, they have no true center forward behind him. And I think that league, Keane, I think is probably a pretty good fit. And look, they, they have a lot of games, you know, not just the French Cup and stuff like that, but they're going to have some games. The bottom of league one is not the bottom of the premier league. I mean, they're going to have some games where I think they're going to be able to roll some people. I think he'll get some chances there. And Accardi's not a young man. Yeah. I think it'd be very interesting. I do think he'll get a shot there, but I mean, I can't imagine that he would think, yay, I'm coming back. Uh, it's just disappointing. Now the good part is I'm sure, you know, he wasn't on big wages to begin with. I think it was like 50, 55 K a week. Uh, that's not massive, uh, at least for a big club like Everton. Um, my guess is we might even get a loan fee out of it. That would be great. And ultimately we can hope he does well. You know, if he does well and starts to kind of remind people of the global superstar he was a year ago, I wouldn't be surprised if we make, make a good chunk of change on the deal. So while I think the Nats reaction is, oh, he's not going to play a PSG. I, I think he'll actually get more of a chance to play there and could be more successful. I don't know that. Hoping his attitude's in the right place. I can't imagine he would wanted to go to a smaller club. So he's going to a bigger club, which is kind of the way it's not supposed to work. But look, this is the new Everton, folks. We make interactions with Real Madrid, PSG. You know, that's pretty much what we do. now. In fact, we're, you know, we like helping out PSG every now and then. We'll show them, throw them gone a guy. We'll throw them Moise Keen. You know, they need some help. So we're there to help them. You know, we're the top dogs now. So <laughs> <clears throat> they can take our cast okay. off. Ah, sure. You know, I mean, you know, if they need someone to slot in between Neymar and Mbappe, I mean, come on. I mean, what would you rather do? Would you rather play in between those guys? No, you'd rather play in between like Richarlison and like Alex Awobian. Yeah, It is disappointing, though. You know, I really thought he'd kick off. But who knows? You know, you never know what's going to happen. The best thing that could happen for us is him to do well, for sure. But look, I mean, you know, it is what it is. And, and maybe there is some merit, too, by not selling him now. If we roll the dice here and assume that financial fair play is not going to kick in the same way again this year. And that things get more regular next year. Now, maybe we have a very, very valuable asset who doesn't want to be here. We can sell and make some money off of that's that's one take. Now, transitioning a little bit into the incomings, I guess we'll first uh, hit um, a more junior member. Looks like Everton, according to Paul Joyce, has secured the services of I believe this is his pronunciation is Imam Jane, I think uh, spelled J-A-G-N-E. 
Um, he's a just turned 17 year old midfielder from FC Haken in the Swedish Alvenskan. Um, he has some first team time. Um, I think he's probably going to have to slide into our U23s at first. This kind of came out of nowhere. I take it you two are not overly familiar with the mom's game. Is that is that accurate? <laughs> that sounds Safe accurate to me, my guy. Yes. <laughs> so um, I will say this. I, I, I didn't really get too much of a chance to see him playing in the big club for Hacken. I don't think he's played there much, but there is some film out there, which I spent some quality time, you know, last couple of days watching. I watched him play a couple matches um, in the Atlanta Cup. People may not know what that is, but for... Scandinavian teams in the off season because they have kind of a reverse schedule that that's a pretty big tournament where there's some big clubs. Um, I, I don't know. I think he's a pretty interesting player. I, I think he has a very fascinating story. He wasn't even a U 17 starter like two years ago or a year ago. He had a big showing in, in one of the big youth cups uh, in international football. It's the Gothia cup. It's actually hack and puts it on, believe it or not. Um, and then got a call up to the Swedish youth team. Uh, and Hacken's first team kind of took a chance on him and played him in, in some of these matches. So what I saw from him is he, he's still very young. I mean, he just turned 17. He's still very slight in build. And this just in, a lot of those Scandinavian countries and leagues, they have some big guys in it. It's very physical. Saw him play a couple different positions. I thought he lo- looked best when he was playing more as an attacking mid or in a half space. And I think that's traditionally where he's played. He claims he's more comfortable playing in the middle. So, you know, what I saw is I saw someone who, although he's physically immature, he's got great feet. He's quick. He has good balance. Um, When he has the ball, he kind of comes to life. You know, he's very decisive. He can make a killer ball, too. I saw him cut through lines. That's all I'm trying to make a couple through balls at the end. Um, He definitely has a bit of jump. He has some acceleration. He does not drag the ball forward. When he gets it, he's decisive. Boom, he goes. He pushes it in front of him and he attacks. Uh, and he's a good decision maker with the ball. You know, he can sense pressure. You could see why he could eventually become very effective, even as a defensive mid with the ball. You know, he, when he feels pressure, he'll go away from it, push forward with need be. You just see an inconsistent young player. You know, the first touch is not perfect. Um, defending at times, you know, he tried to anticipate where a player was going and really jump on him in pressure. Uh, he overcommitted sometimes. He got beat. I saw a couple 50 50 balls where some. You know, Swedish behemoth came in and just absolutely put him on his butt, which is kind of sad to see. Um, you saw him a little more physically dominant in kind of the U-17 matches. I watched a couple friendlies that uh, Sweden's U-17 played. But I like his potential. But yeah, I think he's going to slate into the U-23s. I don't, I don't think he's physically ready for, for the Premier League yet. If I had to pick a comp, um, I think he'll have to make some transition to play in a more defensive minded. I. I actually saw a little decor in him, to be perfectly honest, you know, in the way he could carry the ball forward and, and isn't afraid to play like a killer through ball. I think that's one of Decore's specials. I think it could work out really well. And who the heck am I to question Marcel Brands and his entourage of international scouts? You know what I mean? So one for the youth team, but I think there's a good chance we're going to see a dinner and maybe Benny Beningame, uh, either, you know, obviously one's going out on loan, maybe leave the club entirely. I think he's going to slot right in there in U23s, and, and we've got another influx of talent in for Everton, one to watch in the future. So I like him. I think he has some talent. Um, I'm excited for him. I think if he develops right, he'll be good. And, you know, the other thing is, this is not something we've talked about really in depth on the show, but not only did our first team need a big overhaul over the last couple of years. Our youth system did too, right? And, and we've been Definitely. having a problem with how the wages kind of compounded, not being able to move players on. 
Some people criticized David Unsworth for maybe playing teams just to win PL2 games as opposed to developing players for the first team squad. So while I can't necessarily speak to the talent himself, I will say that it's a promising sign that ideally he goes into the U23 setup. And again, another one for the future. Ideally, Marcel Brand's working his magic. And then naturally, we always like players that can play multiple positions. So ideally, that could another could be another strong suit for him as well. And that only boosts his chances for moving further forward in the Everton setup. And he's age appropriate. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's that's the absolute key. You said it right. You know, he's just turned 17. That makes perfect sense to be in the U23s at that age. And this and this is kind of what Marcel Brands' real MO is, right? Like where he builds a team from the ground up. We've obviously this summer gone in for some blockbuster deals and, and in summers prior as well. But you look at the long-term prospects of the club, it really is going to be from the ground up and from the youth system, emulating the first team in, in terms of style and, and recruitment for long-term prospects rather than, again, as Alex said, Unsworth gets criticized for looking for short-term uh, youth success, but you really have to think about that long-term horizon and signing players that 99% of fans have never heard of and could end up being amazing, I think is sort of like what we expected from Marcel Brands when he first came in. He's good at finding those diamonds in the rough, the guys that that fly under the radar and then all of a sudden look you're you're selling a guy for a massive profit or he's making his way into the first team now a little bit more known commodity paul joyce tweeted out uh, on the first so we've had a couple days i think there may have been a sighting at goodison of uh ben godfrey um yes. center back i know he came up as a defensive mid I, I think we need to kill this i'm not saying he can't fill in but the last time he played defensive mid was like two seasons ago for a whopping 26 minutes. So, so he really hasn't played in like three years. He really was playing defense mid for the last time at Shrewsbury town on loan in league one. So I think maybe we need to dial back that idea, but he played a lot of left center mid, center back for, for Norwich played some on the right side too. He is right footed, but I, I think it's one of those ones where you see him. He's a good athlete, not huge. He's maybe six feet, maybe six one, but he does have a sturdy build, even though, you know, he's younger. He's only 22. I see a bit of a Mason Holgate kind of plug and he's slightly different, but he's a good ball player. Um, he's got good feet. He has good physical attributes. Let's face it. That was a tough team to play for last year. They got absolutely murdered half the time. Um, they gave up what 75 goals. Yeah. I mean, we, you guys watched them. I mean, they got shelled a lot. He was put in a lot of one V ones. And there were times where he looked kind of like you saw Mason look maybe two years ago, where he turned the wrong way, almost to a 360, or he'd make a rash challenge out of desperation. And, you know, Godfrey just has not played that many reps at the highest level and kind of came from nowhere. You know, he started out in York not too long ago. His story's really interesting. But by all counts, he's a good character. He has some good physical attributes. I think he's going to be a fourth center back initially. I don't think he's any real threat to break through these guys, but he is going to have to play a little bit. I think 25 mils a lot personally for him. I think there are a lot of good players out there, but he is English. He has projection. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I cannot, that's the only thing that I look at. And a lot of people say, why do you care about the fee? It's not your money. Uh, let me tell you what, I hate that response. That is the dumbest <laughs> response. Ever. Go off, Ryan. Because no, I'm sorry, it matters. You know, the bottom line is, do you want us to be good or not? So until they completely do away with financial fair play, it matters. Every penny we spend has to be spent efficiently. That's how it works. We are limited to what we can spend. Quite limited, I might add. And we don't have the money under financial fair play. We don't have the revenue of the other big clubs. There's a massive gap between us and the top six. So it's unreasonable to expect us to finish in the top six, considering the revenue gap. So we have to be very efficient, and very intelligent 
the way we've spent money. And I think we've done that so far in this offseason by setting a new foundation, buying a couple older guys, really focusing on value. This is more growth. You know, it's the English premium. I hope he pans out. I think he is a talent. I don't think he's a bad signing. I think he's a good signing. I just think it's a pretty big fee. I don't know what you guys think. That's my only reservation on this deal. I'd say I'm excited for him to come to Everton. I think he absolutely will be the fourth choice center back. No, I don't think he's really going to push any of the other three for a starting role. However, I agree. The fee's too much. Like, in my opinion, it's like absolutely too much. And with that, I mean, I, I hope he proves me wrong. But especially, I think the interesting thing is during the COVID economy, right? Like, 25 million pounds plus add-ons for Ben Godfrey, who had a season in the top flight, who, again, didn't necessarily do... He he didn't do perfectly, which is expected. It's the English fee, but I don't feel necessarily comfortable about it. But that's not to say I'm not excited for him to come, and I absolutely will support him. What about you, James? Well, look, we needed the depth. We need the center back depth. We know the injury problems that we've had. Mason Holgate's out. We looked a little thin there. Um, so, so it's good to get that extra body in there that at least naturally can play that position. I agree the 25 mil for, for a guy that ultimately looks to be the fourth, fourth choice, maybe not the most efficient spend, but it's late in the window. We probably didn't have a lot of time to do, you know, the type of deal Marcel Brands would like to do where he can negotiate the fee down, chip away at it. And we're looking at maybe something south of 20 million. Um, at some point, you just have to look at the squad and say, look, we need this desperately. And again, you know, you can harp on the the amount of goals that conceded by Norwich last season. But to be fair, they did try to play like they they didn't set up on a low block and try to defend for 90 minutes. These guys, no. were they did quite the opposite where they're looking to play an expansive game to get their guys forward. And I think what Godfrey, what I've seen from Godfrey in very, very limited amounts is that he is a guy that is a ball playing center back. Yeah, not the biggest guy in the world, but decent with the ball at his feet, had previously played up forward as he came through like the youth systems hasn't played, as Ryan said, um, He's played a little defensive mid in seasons past, but that's not really his primary position. But he has a good good physicality. And you, and you talk about some of the decision-making isn't quite there yet, but he is still very young. So the intelligence and the positioning and, and the IQ is something that I think can be developed, especially under someone like Carlo Ancelotti. The physical attributes are there. And, and if you can instill the intelligence in a player like that, uh, I mean, we could look back in two or three years and say this was an unbelievable deal. Uh, it could also backfire perhaps, but I think one for the future, perhaps him and Holgate long-term solutions at the center back position. Although, as you said, you don't, I mean, they're both not that big and maybe wouldn't function as well alongside one another because of the, the lack of size. But uh, I, I'm still excited just because it's another, you know, somewhat high profile signing gives us further depth, uh, squad depth, which we know is now, went from being probably one of the biggest weaknesses of the squad to now we have a lot of depth in a lot of areas. Still some some spots right back now looking kind of iffy. But overall, I'm excited for it. Uh, I, I hope that he's able to come in and make an instant impact, give him a little bit of time to bet in. But he won't have to play immediately. So uh, he's got time. And and I guess it's just, again, in Marcel, we trust. And, and I do trust him at this point. That that what he and Carlos see in Godfrey will will eventually uh, we'll see the the benefits from that. He fits the profile. I mean, you know, he's quick. He's comfortable playing left center back. He seems a bit like Holgate. They're different players. So if we agree that it's a better kind of combination to have someone like 
Keener Mina on one side and Holgate and Godfrey on the other. It, it does make a lot of sense. I can't argue that, but it is hard. I'm just saying. I know Gabriel didn't pick us or whatever. You know, it sounds like we backed out. I don't know. Maybe he was looking around. That's why we backed out. But it's just as as just neutrally trying objectively to look at it. You know, they paid about the same amount for him as we paid for Godfrey. And and Gabriel is a considerably more advanced player. I look at Mo Salasu and Gabriel's a perfect fit. I mean, exactly what we wanted. I have no doubt that's why we went for him. We didn't really need a center back. So timing hurts us a little bit here, too, because suddenly we do. Uh, Mo Salasu went to Southampton for like 10 million. Is he the perfect fit? No, he's not that similar. He's not a great ball player, but he is left foot and he's fantastic center back. Probably a better one than Godfrey now for a lot cheaper. Um, I see Lester make a move for Wesley Fofana, who I think could absolutely be a world-class player, 19 years old, um, you know, for not much more. Uh, I think that, that, again, that's the only thing. I'm looking at some of the other transactions and I'm thinking, mm, I'm not sure. But But he does fit the profile and, if we can make the finances work, you know, we don't have that many more needs or I think realistic needs this window. Other And we'll see how it pans out. You know, maybe we're going to take a big roll of the dice this this window, thinking that financial fair play, PL regs will be relaxed. That's it, though. I mean, he does fit the profile and by all accounts is a, you know, is a good character. So uh, you can always I mean, you can't have enough of those guys, really. Absolutely. And on that note, transfer window closes uh, late Monday night. So we'll be with you guys on Tuesday for a formal wrap of the summer transfer window it's been a wild one it's been an unprecedented one to say the least so we'll put something together for you guys that i think you'll you'll all really enjoy but until then be sure to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice follow us on social media twitter facebook instagram join our discord of course invite.gg slash atp and until next time up the toffees Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg slash ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod. Thank you.